Hello and welcome to the Huddersfield Town Preview Show in association with Sportsbroker. I'm pleased today to be joined by Paul Bauer and Callum Adams. Uh, both of them work behind the scenes with our first team and academy here at Canal Side and on match days. Um, the reason we wanted to get you both on was was to have a look at more of, of what our behind-the-scenes staff do, the, the people that fans won't be as au fait with, won't be as familiar with your work, as, as, even though it's as important as, as everything else that goes on in, in the uh, the performance sphere in the, in the footballing sphere is, of what we do. But if we first start with with you, Paul, if you want to give you your job title and a, and a background of, of who you are and what you do at the club. Yeah, so Paul Bauer, Head of Physical Performance, and I just effectively work um, probably between the players and the coaching staff and between the players and the, and the rest of the support staff. My position's kind of quite central. So I just kind of filter information from the players and pass it on to Carlos, Danny, Jorge, Narcisse, Clem, um, and try and filter that information. And opposite, working with with the support staff, maybe what the players might need, what extras they might need to do, or what less they need to do at certain times. So quite stuck in the middle, basically, my role. Okay, well, we'll get more onto that in the, in, in a minute. Um, Callum, uh, what about yourself? <laughs> yeah, so my, my official title's uh, Senior Physical performance coach um my roles obviously slightly look different to, to bowers um if you like i like to, i work with bower to, to help support the things that he has to support um but also um i have like a really unique quite novel position of being able to work with the first team and the academy um across all the all the physical aspects and what, it, what it's required to be a footballer or an athlete if you like yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting week to to speak to you both because it's a, a three game week in the championship. There's there's plenty of these, and it's probably when you two are your, your most busy um, because of the the performance and the, and managing the, the players' workloads and things. But if you treat me as somebody who, to be honest, is probably the truth, doesn't know an awful lot about what you guys do because you are the specialists. Can you give me some insight into Paul to start with? Um, how you go about? ensuring that, that our lads are in the, the best physical state they can be in to, to perform in the way they do, for example, on Saturday against West Brom? Yeah, so we'll go back to pre-season, really. Um, we effectively know that the Championship's 46 games plus cup games, you're talking 50 games within a year. And we know that within the 50 games of a year, there might be, for example, 15 double game weeks and let's just use around number 30 single game weeks. So we know that from time to time, a player will have to do a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday or Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday fixture kind of schedule. And then it's working back from what what that is and what that looks like. So for Lewis O'Brien, that's, you know, 11 and a half to 12 kilometres a game. That's over a thousand metres high intensity distance. So we know that within a seven day period, Lewis might cover three and a half thousand kilometres at high speed. So it's working back from that and then building our pre-season period, our pre-season work to make sure that Lewis can do that. It's very, very individual, obviously position specific. Um, and then effectively, as we get clo- as we get into the season and the players are in it, you've effectively got non-starters and starters. Yeah. So you've got the players who the players who we know will probably play three games in the week. Right. So your, your key senior players generally, and then we know there's players who might feature in one or two. Mm-hmm. And then we know there's players who might just be supplementing the team from the bench. So a, a good example at the moment would be Mipo, who generally isn't isn't playing, but he's there to supplement the squad and, and maybe have to come on and make an impact over a 10, 15 minute period. 
so within within the the category of the squad you've got loads of subcategories so then it's it's working out what each individual needs we know lewis and harry hoggy when he's playing we know they need recovery yeah to prepare for games it's effectively about you know ensuring they get the right amount of sleep the right the right nutrition the right recovery in terms of the, the, the modalities they work at the club and then for the non-starters or the players who are on the fringes it's about making sure that their workload is nice and high so that if they do if they are called upon it whether it be over a 15 minute period in the game or they actually start the game like Holly Turton did at the weekend yeah that they're actually ready and they're capable and, and a 90 minute game at high intensity is not a, not a shock to the system so that the non-starters actually work harder than the starters and that's a thing that okay. we tried to tried to really bring in over the last two or three years at the club. Um, and, is that, and, sorry, that's where, to, and that's where the work off the pitch comes as well, where we try and com- complement that. Yeah, and is that to sort of manage fatigue then? Obviously, if you had the if you had the first team mm-hmm. players, the ones, that, as you say, the seniors that will be playing week in, week out, mm-hmm. if you had them doing the same amount that the, the players who are on the bench are doing every day, then they'd just tire and, they couldn't and they do it. that. Yeah. yeah, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Uh, a game effectively takes 72 hours to recover from okay so it, you know on that third day they're generally pretty much nearly fully recovered not some not so sometimes they are so we know it takes three days so it would be detrimental for our starting players who play 95 plus minutes on a saturday to be out doing a hard training session on a monday even if there's a game on a tuesday it yeah. has to be it has to be more recovery focused more information in that required for the next game and out onto the pitch the next day. Okay. Whereas for the non-starters, we know that we can provide them with a level of intensity that they need. So they might train on a Sunday hard. Then on Monday, they'd be aligned with the group. They can gain the tactical information and be ready to come and help the group at any one point. Yeah. And it, we, there's more conversations that go on at the football club now about the players who aren't playing than the ones who are starting. From our In our, in our kind of domain, physical performance, okay. it's really the non-starters we try and look after the most. That's really interesting to hear because I think from you know a fan's perspective or somebody who, like I say, doesn't know as much about what you do, the assumption is, you know, maybe you have Sunday off or, or a light session on Sunday, then Monday you're straight back to it. And that whole the fact that it takes 72 hours and everything is is stuff that people probably aren't aware of and, and don't take into account, especially when there is such a quick turnaround. We literally do have the best part of 72 hours before we kick off against QPR on Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, it's not... I mean, the big one to look look out for is the fact we go from Wednesday to Saturday plus the journey back from QPR. That's a really short turnaround. Yeah. Um, it's difficult and, and not every player is the same and it's it's not clean. It's not a clean of, oh, they all come in on a Monday morning and everyone's the same. Yeah. Every, every single player, all 24, 25 players, has a unique individual path. Like Fraser Campbell at 34, who has been coming off the bench and doing 300, 400 metres of high-intensity distance in 15 minutes, needs a different stimulus every day he trains because he's almost training to be that player. But we yeah. also have to ensure that he's capable of starting a fixture for us to be able to do a 90-minute game. So he's really unique. So Fraser has an even more, an even, like a, a more different programme to everybody else. Okay. So it's just taking everyone on an individual basis. Where are they at in terms of the career and the training age? Where are they at in terms of the squad status and what they're required to do? And then what do they actually need at any given point to make sure that they're ready to help us win three points? And that's okay. an everyday, everyday evolving process. Yeah. Um, Callum, where does your work fill in on that? Because to me, at least, Bowers, a lot of your work is on the field, um, mm-hmm. planning, 
to me, Callum, you you're in the gym, and people can probably tell the fact that you're filling that jumper up quite nicely. That you, you the gym it's is somewhere. It's, it's, it's a small. It's an extra small. <laughs> it's, it's an extra small boys. Yeah. Um, it's um, that's the gym somewhere you're quite comfortable. So, so what is your day today? How does your work um, plug into to what Bowers is just telling us about? Yeah, I mean, as I, as I said previously, obviously I work across the entire club, if you like, and first team and, and academy. And if we talk about the first team, particularly with the two game week um, kind of focus, if you like, is where I slot into that is as as Bowers spoke about is with the first team, and then it's subcategories within the first team. So you've got your key your key players, your starters, you've got your players that may start but then come off around the 60th minute and you often see that being attackers with a, with their style of play and what their style of play physically demands mm-hmm. um and then you've also got your, your players that are expected to come on and impact a game or in whether that's defensively or offensively uh, and then you've got your players that are regularly on the bench but are just as important because if they're needed they're needed and they need to be ready um so where the challenge comes uh for a uh, S and C coach or strength conditioning coach um, or a fitness coach to make it even simpler if you like is our main role is can we make sure that players are ready to perform um, and being ready to perform sometimes is managing recovery managing managing their fatigue uh, but also it, it requires for the, the fringe players if you like can you actually help develop and physically develop the players as well so the group becomes like a one big one big mess if you like in terms of yeah. Like 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 Bauer says is can Fraser uh, sorry not Fraser let's say a Danny Ward who who played on Saturday he he's churned out X amount of numbers in terms of his physical outputs um, but what can we do to help him recover uh, but then we've got a, a Scotty High who also played um, the game um, where he's a slightly younger athlete um, he recovers slightly better he comes in today I feel fine um, so we work off what something called subjectives which is the players coming in and basically telling us how they feel. Um, so all players might come in who've played 90 minutes and feel slightly different. Um, okay. So the 72-hour process might be a 48-hour for a, for a Scotty High, for example. Um, he came in today, felt really good. Uh, and, and ultimately, sorry, consequently after that, he, he does a slightly different programme where we're, we're aware that he's required to, to perform on Wednesday, um, but we're also aware that he's in a certain journey in his career that um, we also need to help him physically develop. So... There might be an opportunity now with with Hoggy being out. Um, Scott is going to play more games, but where can we still get them little pockets of of working? Yeah. Um, and that's where, with my time here, um, the approach for that has, has, has changed quite considerably this year. Uh, and players will will be expected to do a little bit of work each day in terms of physical in the gym, um, but all, always looks very different. Um, yeah. One thing that I found quite interesting that in, in the subjectives and thing is is how you're working with the players and you, you're talking to them. This might be a silly question, but how well do the players know their own bodies? Like, how are you able to? If Scott comes in and says I feel fine, are you able to to take that on face value and and you know uh, sort of against that? If one of the lads came in and went, I'm still shattered today or something like that. Are you are you able to trust him or, or is the, you've, you, what do you do in order to sort of manage that yourself? Good question. Um, I think for me, I'll, I'll quickly chip in because I know Bauer's got a, a deep insight <laughs> into this as well. But um, for me, what is, it becomes like the art of coaching and the art of coaching sometimes is, is down to knowing your player, which is quite yeah. obvious. Um, and you get to know your player the more you work with them. Just like any any form of life, the more you work with someone, the more you get to know someone. Yeah. Um, 
the one of the most important things is now is a lot of research out there. There's a lot of different ways of taking subjectives. Um, some some do it on a phone, some do it on an iPad, some do it before they even get to the training ground. And I think one of the most important aspects for me is getting that face-to-face -face conversation. So even though we get numbers and we get data and we get values out of it, the most important part is when we actually talk to them. Um, and they could tell us, for example, they could tell us, oh, I'm okay to them. I'm a two out of 10, which basically means that they're okay. But you then start to either see the facial expressions or you just know them, like I say, and you kind of go, are you sure? And then you might get a little <laughs> bit more out of them. Um, and then advocate to that is I'm in and around the gym and I see the players moving and I see them preparing for the sessions. And sometimes you can see actually they're moving a little bit different to, to what they usually do. So you go, are you, are you sure you're all right? And because you start a conversation as soon as they come in, you've already got a little bit of a picture of how they feel. And then as the day goes by and we start doing different things within the programme, you, you can sometimes edge out a little bit more out of them. Um, but I think one of the beauties or, or one of the, the real good things we have right now is a really good group. Yeah. Um, very honest. Um, and we can have them quiet conversations between myself and a player or Bow and a player. And then the same player might talk to all of us separately, if that makes sense. And we then talk because, um, again, we have a really good group of staff and players and we're really honest and open and, I think we make the right decisions at the right times. And yeah, so it, it's about honesty, but I think it's about building that relationship so they feel they can be honest with us. Um, and it's, I think in the past, certain players will say, if I, if I feel tired, that might get back to the manager. And I'm not, I'm not going to train. I'm, if I'm not going to train, I'm not going to play. And I think it's what we've got here is a really good process of we're here to make every single player feel right to perform. Yeah. Um, and they trust that. They, they trust that if we say, well, we don't think you should train today. It's not going to detriment their their selection, if you like. It's more, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be said to Carlos. Um, and it's because we actually, we think that's the best for you to perform. Okay. Um, so you, you're, still, you're still there for selection, but it's because we want you to perform. We don't want to make that worse, if you like. Yeah. Um, we wanted to help you to, to do the best you can on the Wednesday or, yeah. or, or the game day. It, so. it, it has this. Calum's made some really good points. It has the opposite effect as well. It might be that we're actually pushing players out onto the pitch because we feel they need to do more. We might compensate at the end of training and make them do additional condition that they probably don't want to do at the time. But we feel it's vital for them to do, particularly if you dose it across you know, a six-week period. I think Naby's a brilliant example of, of, of buying into a process of doing additional extra work on his days off and while he's in the training ground, just tiny, tiny little bits, an extra five minutes a day. So that when he gets his opportunity, he's, a re he's ready. And his yeah. performance on Saturday was outstanding. And I think the psychology of it as well is really important. So the players doing that additional work, coming in, doing doing the bits then when they don't want to do it, they're the bits that matter. And then when they go and they get their opportunity and they're ready and they're able to do 90 minutes and perform, I think it's really, really powerful. I also think Carlos deserves a lot of credit. I think he absorbs the information given to him really well and his his attitude towards having this individual approach for every single players, you know, I think he's opened his eyes a lot more as well this year in terms of it as well. So if he, we'll take this morning for an example, we had five players who started the game on Saturday who went out onto the pitch to do some technical work, a really, really light session. We had five players who okay. stayed inside and worked off feet and worked on a bike. Now they were five individual things that they, they all they all came in and the five lads who went out wanted to, they said, no, I think that's best for me. They chose. And it's okay. really empowering the players to make the decisions on what they feel they need is best for them on the next day. 
And that's where the staff come in. It's not just myself and Callum in the department. There's Jordan Foster, who kind of supports me on the pitch. There's Dan, who works with Cal in the gym. There's the nutritionist, Nessam Ben. And then we've got the, all the physios and academy staff as well. And every single person is trying to get a feel of the group and the individual players at any one point. Yeah. And, and I think you can you can sense it. We knew after a win against West Brom, we come in this morning and it'd be, there'd be a bit of energy. But that, that's just natural. Yeah. But where I think where I think the expertise and the qualities of of Dan and Cal and all the people behind the scenes comes in is when we've had it when we've had a defeat, particularly after Cardiff, we had a defeat. Um, uh, you know the the late goal, but the ability to pick the group back up again and get them on the right on the right tracks, and we're here to work and we're here to get ready for the next game and almost resetting the players so they're ready for the next game. I think that's where the staff become really really important. Yeah, ninety percent of our work is psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think whether we've got a really good group of staff combined with a really really good group of players this year that actually we're generally making the right decisions because it's just the obvious thing to do yeah there's no there's no real you know rocket science behind it but I think there's more open communication more more discussion about why certain decisions are made more options given to the players players providing more options for the staff mm. that just provides a cleaner kind of transition between what each player needs to do yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? Really because good. you, um, when you lay out how big the team is and how how big the support staff is, it brings to mind that sort of iceberg analogy where you see that thing on the top of the water, but mm-hmm. all that stuff underneath just isn't as as public. Um, and you, you touched on the the late goal at Cardiff, and it's not something I want to dwell on for obvious reasons. But one question I wanted to ask you, and I think it'd be interesting to for fans to hear, is is about responsibility and, and what actually falls in your department's remit and what doesn't. Because I think for the layman, uh, when you're frustrated, when a team's lost, when we've conceded late at Peterborough and then conceded late at Cardiff, people are the you know me or somebody in standard the, their assumption to be lads out fit enough, concentration yeah. dropped off or something like that, and. You yeah. know, speaking to you two, doing what you two do, that probably isn't the case. They, they probably couldn't possibly any be any fitter or be in a better position to per, to perform, and that probably isn't your responsibility. So, what actually does fall under your remit is it is it the case of as soon as they cross that white line at three pm on Saturday and they're in the best position to perform that you're able to get them in? That's almost not job done, but you can't have done anything more well, at that point than you have done. Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're all responsible, players, more so than anyone. They're the ones who have made the choice to eat the right food, to sleep for the maximum time they can sleep, to live the right life away from the training ground, to come in and maximise every single kind of minute they get in the training ground. So they're they're responsible. Carlos and the coaching team are responsible because they dictate the training load and what drills and practices are done in training and whether that actually leaves anything on the players. But in my experience, in working in the game and sitting working with a lot of players, you found that actually training is not hard enough. But that's not the case at Huddersfield Town. Training is really, really hard, and we've worked really, really hard at actually making sure that training, as we lead into a game, is a little bit easier. So we work really, really hard in the middle of the week on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and then we start to taper for for the performance on a Saturday. Yeah, but and 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 naturally, then it therefore becomes my some of my responsibility to help inform Carlos. Mm-hmm. So if I if if I'm if I don't give Carlos the right information at the right time, then we might go into a game and we might be carrying some fatigue. Mm-hmm. But naturally, naturally, Peterborough is a great example. You, you 
you're going to be a little bit fatigued on a Tuesday evening game with travel. Yeah, Cardiff another late with with travel. These things all kind of pay, pay into it. There's tactics as well, and there's momentum. Sometimes your team suffers because they can't gain momentum in a game or they've lost momentum. And that was the key thing at Cardiff. We lost momentum. We had loads of chances. We didn't score. Yeah. Then Cardiff got a foothold in the game, and that's just that's just psychology. It's nothing to do with how far they can run, whether the fitness levels are up or down. Yeah. Because our, if you looked just purely at crude numbers, Cardiff was our third. I think it was our third highest output of the season, and our okay. highest the total distance. So it's nothing to do with the players not working hard or not being able to work hard. It purely was down to the the inability to manage the momentum that Cardiff got. So I think it's a really, really difficult one because everyone is responsible, players, staff, everyone. It's not just on one person. It's not just the head coach because he chooses training. It's not just the coaches because they take the drills. It's not just me because my title's got physical performance in it. It's not just Cal because he works in the gym with the players and, and someone's got boshed off the ball so he's not strong enough so he needs to work with Cal longer. It's, there's a lot more to it. There's a yeah. lot more to it than that. And it's, every, it's everyone, players, players more, than, more than anyone really. And I think yeah. the best thing to go back to this group of staff and players is everyone takes collective responsibility. So we all hurt when we lose. We all celebrate when we win, but we all come in and work really, really hard. And we all understand that within the championship, you're going to lose games. You're also going to win games late, Sheffield United, when maybe we didn't deserve it. Yeah. It swings and roundabouts. So Millwall as well. Yeah, it's making sure that we come in next day, right, we're here to work again. And, and okay. the work might not be on the pitch, work might be in the gym, work might be tactically working with the analysts and the video. It, work represents itself in a million different ways. So that that's the key to this group and the, and the key to us moving forward is that we, we always share the responsibility of everything, wins, losses, draws. Um, yeah. Hope that answers that question. No, it does. Think, and it, and it's... Go on, sorry, I was, I was just going to add just something to that in terms of on a, a positive spin on... on the current squad and the staff and the and the the group that we have is to add to that. Obviously, in the past, as as a member of staff and the the amount of time that I've worked in football, I've experienced plenty of wins, losses, draws, highs, lows, um, and and the way that in terms of responsibility of this this current team that we have right now, um, I think the ob- the most obvious thing that stands out to me is when you lose when you lose in the uh, in the championship or in the Premier League in the past uh, a competitive game. A lot of the time, staff, you'd be like, oh, oh no, tomorrow's going to be horrendous. Tomorrow's going to be awful. We're going to be getting this. We're going to get shots fired at us or left, right and centre. It's our fault. We didn't put the protein in the right place. We didn't uh, do the, the right squat or whatever it might be. And now this season, when, when we have lost, which is results-wise been not very often, um, yeah. but when we have lost, the players discuss things between them and the right stakeholders in terms of the coaches and what can we do better. They don't, they don't point fingers. They don't say, "Well, this wasn't right, that wasn't right." Um, yeah. They go, "They go, okay." Well, well, they do. They just say, "Well, what wasn't right, um, and how can we fix it?" So there's, yeah. they, they identify problems, but more realistic problems and things yeah. that they can potentially solve to to take to the next game. Uh, and equally, when they win, they don't go too high as well. So um, they can sometimes come in and say, "Well, are oh, we won?" Um, but this, this, and this needs to change, or this, this, and this, and. Um, I think there's a real balance of just taking responsibility for their performance on and off the pitch um, and like I say not getting too high when we win yeah. not getting too low when we lose and um, we feel really trusted by the players by the staff but by the players that even if we do lose we don't, we don't have to change a thing um, yeah. we do what we think's right and Bauer 
makes the right uh, certain decisions when players should go on the grass and shouldn't. He doesn't get fingers pointed at him in terms of, well, I think I should have gone on the grass. It's always a collective conversation and that relationship, I think, builds that responsibility um, as well. Yeah. That's interesting to hear because it's, it's, it's something that comes up time and time again. And it's something that consciously in my position I've, I've tried to stop asking about because I don't want to make it seem as if it's this conscious decision for the, the mood around the place to keep coming up. But this sense of maturity and accountability is something that you know the lads themselves say and, and whenever they're speaking to the media, they cop to the atmosphere, the, the trust they have in each other, the ability to not call each other out but hold each other you know, to account and, and keep those standards high is something that, that seems to be a real um, sort of through line in this squad. One yeah. thing that I wanted to, to ask you two specifically, um, because you two probably within the team, um, best place to, to answer it is physical performance at Huddersfield Town uniquely isn't just first team based. The way we work, B team, academy, Bauer, you came from the academy and B team before in your current position as, as head of. Uh, Cal, you still work between the two. Um, our strategy and what we do and, and our aims and goals is for the young lads, the 17s, the 19s, the B team. We're creating first-team players at Huddersfield Town. And that scene at the weekend when Scott High's playing, Lewis O'Brien also, uh, academy graduate. We had you know academy graduates on the bench as, as, as well. Um, and people can step up and play whenever, even... Uh, sort of younger levels when they go out, somebody like Loic going to play at Boston and and holding his own in a league where, you know, greatest respects due is more physical and more rough and ready than it might be at other levels. Um, could you just give us some insight, Paul, first, and, and how you go about ensuring that the strategy and the goals are club-wide and not just first team? Yeah, really good question. I think I've followed the journey of kind of the, the new look academy so yeah i was kind of one of the five men and the dog who sat around the table when it initially got changed and went how are we going to do this yeah like how are we going to be different how are we going to transition young players through to the first team and i had a day i'd had experience previously at my, my former club where young players got in regularly because mm -hmm. they had to and really it was about going right what what's required at the top first so let's look at what's needed and, and the, the board and the chairman and the people and the kind of the owner of the football club they want to see young players getting into the first team so we have to bring these on the journey so that's the first yeah. thing we tried to do is we tried to get everybody involved and then as we've gone through the years with excellent recruitment first of all really really good processes behind the scenes alignment of all those processes so we know that the principles remain the same at under 17 if it's gym work for example the 17s, you'll be able to see the similarities between what a 17-year-old does and what Jonathan Hogg does. It might be that the methods to get there are different mm -hmm. and the, the way the week looks is different, but the principles remain the same. And that and we've just built on that process week, like week on week, year on year. And we're getting to a point now where our young players are really, really exciting are in a position where they they require basically the tip of the iceberg, which is the experience of men's football. And what it takes to win and what it takes to see out a game against a league a league leading team like West Brom and come on and see a game out and, and those experiences of wins and losses and losing away at Cardiff in the last minute, they need to gain those experiences and then come to this football club and do what Scott's done and bide the time and get the odd appearance and then start to build themselves into the team and then eventually become a starter. And that's a long process. The average debut in the championship's 24 and a half right. years of age. 
So it's actually really unrealistic to expect Brahima at 18 to come in and be a starter. That just doesn't happen anymore. We actually need to be more realistic and go, well, if Brahima's a starter at 22, we're doing a lot of good stuff here because the average age is 24.5. So Scott High starting at 20 is exceptional. Yeah. It's exceptional. And the same age Lewis was at Bradford. Yeah. And that was exceptional. And Lewis is an exception. So it's like, it, it's just always kind of going back to what are we here to do? It's to be consistent, make sure our young players understand the values and things that are required in the first team. And then all the staff who work across all the all the, all the players ensure that day by day, we just try to teach these young lads what it takes to win. Because that's the last bit and the bit that you can only learn out in the arena. Yeah. I, I can't teach them how to see out a game against West Brom. The only way you learn that is being out there. So yes, alone gives them that initial bit, but then they have to go do it themselves. And it's that's how I've kind of been through the process. I've almost kind of gone with the players. I'm learning myself first team level now, what it mm-hmm. takes to win, all the different emotions you have to go through. And I think I've changed as this year's gone, or well, certainly as the years have gone on, as I've grown with the players. Yeah. Um, so... It is different. Cal might see it totally different because he's really in in with the players all the time. Whereas yeah. I kind of a bit more have like a almost like an umbrella view of it. I kind of look over the top, but it's um it's a really really unique strategy. It's really really exciting. And if I was a young player, I wouldn't really want to be anywhere else because there's opportunity for these young lads to get unbelievable coaching. The infrastructure is improving all the time, and you know the board the head of football and the first team manager, first team head coach, truly believe in these young lads and they believe in their ability. And that's the most important thing. And now it's mm-hmm. the hoping that the fans can see that they've got ability and they can help them through the transition as they come in because they will make mistakes. Yeah. That's what young players do. Senior players make mistakes. They react better, they react better generally. So young yeah. players have to learn how to react better to making mistakes. And that'll be the difference between, between them having, you know, Premier League careers possibly. Some of them, um, but yeah, it's really, really exciting. But I'll let Cal go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, so I think I think to add to that, I think I probably echo echo a lot of things Bauer said, um, and maybe go into a bit more of the not the science, but yeah, maybe the science side of things and how we how we view um, players physically from from the seventeens or what we do have. We have trials, obviously, um, prior to the next season for the seventeens coming in. Um, yeah. And what what's really important for us to have is like a benchmark at each each age group, so the 17s, 19s, B team, and the first team. And then within that, there's obviously positions as well. So a goalkeeper is very different to a forward, a midfielder is very different to a fullback. Yeah. Um, so we have to have an appreciation um, of what each age group um, their physical demands are, and then also within that age group, what what does the position demand of them as well. Um, and then if you want to go even to even more detail is, let's say the B team, for example, you've got the age group, um, the fact that they're maybe required to play at first team level competitively, the fact that they all play different positions, they've got different backgrounds in terms of grassroots or um, ex-academy players at different clubs. Um, so there's a lot, obviously a lot of factors that you have to um, think about in terms of how you approach each single athlete. And the way the club's gone is uh, around a, an individual development plan approach and we call it an IDP um, and within that obviously my, my role is physical performance coach um, and I'd say I, I specialise more in the strength conditioning side of things but to expand on that role it's what is required for each age group and for each athlete to be an athlete 
Um, I like to use the term uh, something called 24-7 athlete. Uh, and what that basically means is the players, again, different age groups spend different times at the training ground. But on average, I'd say most players spend at least three hours here a day minimum. Um, and then some younger age groups up to up to seven or eight hours. But as we all know, it's 24 hours in a day. So what are they doing for the rest of that time? Um, Bauer touched on it briefly earlier. Um, but it's really important for us that uh, we see physical performance, uh, five pillows, if you like. So five different separate identities. You've got strength conditioning, which is basically your, your gym stuff. Are they, are they big enough, strong enough, fast enough? Can they recover? Are they fit enough? So it's not just about being strong. Are they fit as well? As we know, a, a, a game of football is not just um, it's not just about running. It's also about being strong enough to to beat an opponent for for pace or or being able to physically contact players, etc. Um, then you've got the the next two kind of fitting with each other, but we look at them as separate identities because there's that much detail within them. So you've got nutrition, obviously. Um, are they eating the right things to perform, uh, recover, sleep, all that sort of stuff. Um, then you've got recovery, which, like I say, nutrition can arguably be going into that section. Um, but all the other recovery parts of sleep being the absolute daddy of, of recovery. But then within mm -hmm. that, what else can we do? Ice yeah. baths, um, saunas, uh, foam rolling, bikes, soft tissue. Um, then we've got uh, lifestyle, which is probably the biggest one, the biggest challenge, because everyone's got different lifestyles, different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, different different day to day lives. Some have partners, some don't. Some have dogs, some don't. Some have problems at home, some don't. Some, yeah, uh, some live within three miles of the training ground. Some live live within twenty. Um, and then and then to to add to that one, the last one is uh, load management. So the way we see load management is on the field, off the field. And it's a lot, a lot about the stuff we've already spoken about um, in terms of managing fatigue and, and being able to perform. Yeah. Um, but so that that encompasses an athlete for me, if you like. Um, but then, like I say, we've got 17-year-old or 16-year-olds coming into the building. Um, and some some players are actually, we call them early maturers or yeah. we've got late maturers. So some players might, might be 17, but they, are, they might actually look like a B-team athlete. Yeah, uh, and and vice versa. So sometimes we might have a B team player. Hopefully not within the system because we we get to a point where they're not there. But we have, we might recruit a B team player that is actually a, a under nineteen physically. Yeah. So what's really important for us is to have have benchmarks to each age group. What's expected of them within their position at that age group? What physical demands? What day to day demands do they have? And we it's all data. We are dealing with humans, but it's all data and it's all experience and science if you like um but yeah. then it, as as a coach it's about going well this is where they're at data wise or so objectively but subjectively we think well actually might hit might be here so some players might follow our under 19s program mm -hmm. at, an, at an under 19 age but some of the players within that group are under 19s might actually be following a bit more of a b team program yeah it's, it's interesting because Somebody like Brody Spencer, for example, is 17 years old, but plays in the B team. And physically, if you were to see him, he does not look like a 17-year-old. He looks like a, a bloke. Yeah. yeah so he, he's, probably the, he's probably the best example, as you say, as, as, as we talk about this, that he came in as under 17 and straight away, uh, within two or three weeks, um, players go through a, um, something called mesocycles, which is blocks of time, six weeks, for example. Um, and we have this planned out like I say, um, data, science, we have this planned out, but some players might get fast-tracked and some players 
he he starts in the 17s program, but within three, four weeks, we realize he's not a 17-year-old physically right now. He's probably an 18, 19, maybe even a 20-year-old. So his program looks a little bit different, and that's where the real individual approach comes. Yeah. Um, and again, it allows him, one, to perform at his age group um, and probably outperform physically at his age group. And then it's not just my job, but I'm a stakeholder in, in, in discussions around well, actually, what's the best part? What's the best program for Brody now? And that's not always as a gym. Is it to play up an age group? Is it to play up an age group and play against men that, uh, well, or men or boys that are similar physically to him than than his age group? If that makes yeah. sense. So that's that could be part of his development process, not just not just gym and lifting weights and stuff like that. To build football strength, um, that that we we are working on in in this club is, can you go and do it? And if you sometimes you might not want to actually do it on the pitch, but yeah. to get to get better or, or stronger at something, you need to do it. So um, that approach happens quite a lot within our group, um, and I, and I think it fits really well. That uh, I'm trying to think, for example, John Russell comes in um, on Saturday, just gone, and yeah, we could go out all the day. We could go actually. Well, at this point, he's actually not a first team player, but how is he going to get to that? We might have tried and maximize everything we can off the pitch. The next stages. He needs to go play first team championship football. Yeah. Now, obviously, now obviously that's not fully down to us because the manager has to select him and wants to select him. But we need to put him in that position to go. The manager wants to look at him. The manager wants to select him. Um, and then for him, to, his next part of John Russell's development for me is just playing championship football. Obviously, we still keep working on the things behind the scenes of what he needs to work on physically. But yeah. the next, the next part to the jigsaw, if you like, or the next piece of the jigsaw is. Can he now just go and do it? Yeah, and, ad- and adapt to it. Yeah, I think that's the the main the main thing. The best one of the best pro or one of the best players who's got one of the best programs at this football club is Lewis O'Brien mm-hmm. because he plays ninety five minutes of Championship football forty six times a year. <laughs> so as a young player, he's just got like an ultimate program, hasn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, but not. But we know that Scott High might only get twenty twenty. Championship appearances. So he's got a decent program. What we're doing for the other, you know, twenty-five development slots that Lewis has got. Well, we have to probably break them down into seventy-five different gym, running, lifestyle, individual compartments. You know what I mean? Different type yeah. of, of stuff, and that's how we've got to see it. That the, the ultimate program is starting and finishing every single championship match. That's mm-hmm. the ultimate program, but we can only provide that for eleven players. Yeah. So then what is every other player getting? And that's what it all filters back from. So those 16-year-olds who come into the building, we might have between, depending on the maturation status, three to six years to build them up to the point where they can go do the 46, 50, including the cup games, 50 championship games a year. And and it's a slow, long, laborious, taxing, difficult process for players Mm -hmm. and for staff. Yeah. Because you're doing it multiplied by, I think we've got 70, 73 players. So you're doing it multiplied by 73. Yeah. I don't think it's that many, actually. Let's just say it is for the sake of it. <laughs> it's, it's around that, to be fair. Yeah. So you've got that is a lot of programs. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of, every, and every single person is different. That's a, it therefore takes a lot of skill from mm-hmm. the staff who are working with them. And it's a lot of, 
there's a lot of cultural architects as well in the staff who are able to kind of just mould these young players and the academy staff do a great job of just moulding them, helping them on the way, helping them through failure. If that player needs to fail more, how do we help them fail more? Play them up an age group. They're absolutely miles off it all of a sudden. Excellent. That's what we need. That's what that player needs. And failing is good. And that's why that's why that's where results don't matter at B team and development level because we might actually be intentionally putting our players in a position where they need to lose. And okay. that's sometimes what the fans won't won't recognise. B-team level, generally, you want to win every game. Of course you do, but certainly the younger age groups, we're, we're playing players out of position. Players are playing under you know severe levels of fatigue because of the training week that's gone in. Players are playing basically who aren't physically capable of playing at that level. Trialists are in the play, learning a new system. They've been overloaded in something else. There's all sorts going off, which means they lose the game. Yeah. Three step pieces. But actually, those consistent failures and the ability of the staff behind the scenes to build the players up means that five years down the line, one of those players pops through into our first team and is able to play in yeah. the championship. And we're trying to do that multiplied by 70. So that's the key is that we want every single player to be in and around it. We know that won't happen. Yeah, but it certainly doesn't mean that a player can't go play in the lower leagues and build the way up and still be have a really really successful career in the game. That's the bare minimum for us. So, like like Cal's touched on it brilliantly. Really, the kind of the individual aspect of the program and the way in which we try and work with the players. But it's it's really really exciting. It's really mm-hmm. really difficult to articulate. I think because you've probably got to be in here to to see it and yeah and taste taste what it, it it's actually like. But yeah, it's certainly improving. It's certainly not the finished product it's it's not brilliant yeah it's just a, a good process at the moment and it's our job with the other staff who are who you know who, who we've mentioned and some who we haven't mentioned where we've got to really keep working with the players and the staff to make sure that every player's every single day that the player has at this football club is maximized yeah well I, i'm in i'm a great example i'm in the building with you guys every single day of the week and I don't know 90% of the work you guys put in and, 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 and what you do. So I think it's been a, a great conversation to have. Hopefully people have come away having learned something. I know I have I've definitely, I could talk to you two lads for, for rest of the day, but I'm you two are both very busy and, and other things to get onto, but we'll we'll catch up hopefully another point during down the, down the line in the season. Uh, but thank you both of you for your time. Um, uh, good luck for, for Wednesday night. Much. And uh, thank you to to Sports Broker for, for sponsoring the show.